Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 239. I'm your host, Derek Moore. With me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, CEO of Zega Financial, Jay Pestercelli. Jay, how are you doing today? Good, Derek. It's good. Look, I, we're recording this on a Friday, and uh, it was an interesting week in the market, so I'm, I'm excited to talk about it all today. Well, I did, of course, reach out to Jay Powell once again. He uh, apparently was busy, couldn't come on. And so it's left up to us. Or what are you saying? You boot me off for Jay Powell? But you let you got to let us both host if he comes on. Well, of course he's never coming yeah. on. Certainly not this show. But never say never. we can speak for never him. He well, that you're, so you're saying there's a chance, <laughs> right? <laughs> Good one. All right. So Powell talked. Uh, you know, it was all going so well. They came out with the decision. Not going to do anything. Rates did rise after that. Powell starts, steps up to the microphone, and they should have unplugged it because the markets <laughs> did not like the words that were coming out of his mouth, Jay. Oh, I mean, get the get the cane, get the hook, and and pull him off. I mean, apparently it was – I'm going to tell you, like, I listened to it, right? And yes, does anybody surprised he had to have a hawkish tone? No, of course he has to stay hawkish. He has to keep trade up. They, they have not – beat down the, the the inflation monster yet. So he has to talk hawkish, but his actions should have spoke louder than words, the fact that they did not raise rates. And I don't know, like, and what was it? The market just reacted pretty poorly. And it's been, you know, since that time, down, 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 right? That day finished down, and Thursday was down. Even uh, a, a little downward bias closed at the low here on Friday. So yeah, market market didn't seem to like it, but again, I continue to I continue to think through what did he say that was so surprising that caused the market to sell off. I just I'm I missed it. I missed the bad news. I really did. It really was about twelve reporters asking the same three questions in different ways, and I think at one point I even messaged everybody, and I'm like, he just like he's got to be like, are you serious? Like, what do I have to? I'm I already told you, we're not lowering. We don't have any plans to lower. We'll, we'll lower if we need to lower. Like, and, and I get it. I guess if you're a reporter for XYZ Outfit, you want to hear your question be repeated and his answer to your question. So you can go on air and say, I asked Chairman Powell the following question, and then they play the clip. But you know that. I mean, at least been asked the same stuff that the guy from Bloomberg does, the guys. So no, Jay, I agree. I don't think he said anything differently. Now, the the market though when i say the market i'm talking about the bond market it seems like they actually believe the fed now because rates rose especially in the back end jay uh yep yeah and if you you know if you're watching and you're trying to keep track how to see that uh like you look at even some of the etfs right uh and and how they reacted uh, you know they didn't react right away but you know on thursday they did uh TLT dropped significantly. That's a 20-year, right? The 20-year ETF. And uh, when you look back to find it at this price, I mean, you're going back to 08, right? 03. Like where it is right now is definitely low. So, right, that means rates are higher. The bonds are lower, right? So the bond, bond funds definitely reflected some of that. I was trying to go back to see, okay, when's the last time that TLT has really been uh, below, I don't know, 90, right? And and if you go back and you look, 
um, it's it doesn't happen all that often, right? Like we got to go all the way back to where am I here? March of 2011. It bounced off of it in 2010. It was some support in 08. So like we're it's been a while, right? Since since this kind of a a pricing showed up in the longer end of the curve with with ETFs like that, at least with you know TLT, which is a very popular bond ETF, right? It's got long duration, it's got all the volatility in it, but it reacted poorly, I would say, come Thursday. Poorly? poorly, I mean, let me put a little more color on this. Let's say in 2020, you bought a fresh off the rack, 30 year uh, U.S. Treasury bond. That bond today is trading probably around $48. And what that means, if you spend a thousand, your bond, your, your single bond is probably, it's worth, you know, it's, it's half, half of what it was. And when you think about how long it would take that investor to, to get back to a thousand dollars, in theory, if rates don't go significantly down, it would take 27 more years. You know, you're three years away from that. So there's been some damage in not only TLT, we see it in AGG, you know, the U.S. Aggregate Bond Index. And it's not, I mean, this is what happens when you had low rates and you have rates that go up, you have duration. So, but I think bond market is, is like, okay, higher for longer. What's really interesting though, Jay, is this. And there's two schools of thought. One is that rates on the long end are rising because as I've said before, the 10-year U.S. Treasury is really sort of a proxy of the nominal GDP growth, not adjusted for inflation, just with inflation, with everything. And if you look at a 10-year yield and you look at the past, I don't know, decade or so of, of nominal growth, it, it's probably about the same. So you could say, no more recession. The bond market is now saying, we're going to have growth. It's all cool. Everything's fine. But we got to go back to, Jay, the 10-3 inversion, the 10-year and the three-month inversion. And that maxed out, uh, you know, the distance, meaning how far, how much more the three-year treasury yield is greater than the 10-year treasury yield. Normally, the 10-year should the spread, have right? The, ten, the, the spread. The, the reference spread, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So normally, you want to get paid the more time uh, you're loaning, let's say, the government your money. That has started to narrow. And the interesting point of this is, okay, Cam Harvey's the guy who came up with this. It was an academic paper. It's predicted eight of the last eight recessions. And it first inverted, I think it was October of last year. So the median time to recession is about 12 months, which would be about October 25th of this year. And I think January 25th of next year, 2024, will be the far end. But typically what you see is, and it's not close to uninverting, Jay, but you do see it uninvert before a recession. By the way, which of those two is going to happen? I'll let you know when they happen. Right, Jay? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'll, I'll throw you a curveball, Derek, looking at the UUP, which is the Invesco US dollar index, right? That's something that we always talk about when we're talking about, you might talk about it when we're talking about bonds and yields, right? That is, while it's not at all time, that is also pushing to a level that, yeah, it had a little bit of a pop there in, uh, you know, the middle of 2022, but 
you know, this thing's been on a, you know, it's, 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 it's also going higher, right? Meaning, so maybe we could talk a little bit about the dynamics there of kind of currency and like U.S. yields versus other yields. Is that something you're willing to touch on real quick? I can touch on it. Yeah. I mean, it's the dollar, it's, it's a relative game. And the idea is that if the perception is, or the actual rates are higher in one country versus another, and all things equal, which you know, from a risk standpoint, that country's currency should be stronger than the other one. That's why the yen is hitting multi-year lows against the U.S. dollar. So, yeah, Jay, I mean, I, I think because our rates are rising and our rates are higher than other parts of the world, and the perception is long, uh, higher for longer, yeah, I mean, that that causes the dollar to go up, Jay. And we know that that has ramifications for multinational companies. Yes, yes. That's what I was bringing it to then. A rising dollar, and we talked about this last week, can be can have negative ramifications to the profit of U.S. companies that uh, have uh, business in other countries, right? And we talked about why that works. So I just, you know, thought I'd kind of connect the dots there as to rising rates and, you know, potentially the reaction of the market, uh, the equity markets with the dollar in the middle of having that reaction. You know, I want to get to some, we're going to play a little, I don't know if you call it a game, but is our option prices cheap or expensive? But before I go to that, uh, I'll say, well, two things. One is, you know, I've been on this for a while. If you look at a chart of the U.S. dollar index and you look at a chart of the S&P, they've been negatively correlated pretty pretty tightly. I mean, when the dollar made its high, the the market's made a low. So I think your point is, if the dollar is going on a run here, what we've seen lately would say that's going to put equities under pressure. Now, back to the bond side is high yield. I want to talk a little bit about a high yield. And the question really is, are you getting paid for, I mean, I think Investors are getting paid for taking that risk now, Jay. Uh, yeah, right. So it, it was, I remember, you know, we were talking about at the beginning of 2022, the end of 2021, saying, look, it's there's nowhere to go for yield. I guess you could go to the high yield market and get paid 6%. Well, that is now started to, uh, and by the way, uh, high yield, also known as junk bonds, can typically considered the riskiest of the fixed income, one of the riskiest from the fixed income as a class, we had always said, look, it just doesn't feel like you're getting paid for that risk, but that's the only place you can go to earn five. I think at one point we're only getting 5% on some of the no, that's high right. yield. That's right. Yes, or Jay. So today now you're, you know, now you're starting to talk about when you look at, you know, maybe like, uh, uh, you know, maybe like a SJNK, which is a, a, an ETF we use, or SRLN, right? Those ETFs, not a recommendation, but they are in some of our portfolios. You know, now you're pressing, what, 8%, you know, 8 plus? Higher. I yeah. mean, 8.3 to 8.9. I mean, loans, loans, which of course are variable. But yeah, I mean, to your point, yeah, I mean, they're, they're pushing mid-8s, high-8s. So, I mean, it almost feels like at this point now, like, all right, you know, I know it's, well, uh, high yield doesn't have the same volatility as stocks, right? But if you're thinking bonds, it is, you know, on the riskier side of things when it comes to bonds. Yeah, now you're getting paid a little bit, right, to have uh, to take on some of that risk. I, I think you're getting paid. And I think it's nice to see that 
you know, that that rate has been increasing along with the increase in, uh, in Fed funds rate. Where I haven't really seen it as much as, you know, investment grade uh, debt, right? Like that, there's some investment grade debt that's out there that is, you know, still less than the treasury. Like I'm looking at the yield on LQD, uh, it's under five, right? So, you know, it's nice to at least see some yield show up in uh, Sirloin and the S-Junks and, and those types of, uh, we say S-Junks, S-J and K is the, the ticker on that one that I'm talking about. Yeah, it's nice to see that you're getting paid. I think you're getting paid for it now. I agree. And, you know, the AGG, I was looking at this the other day, uh, September 14th is when I pulled this 4.44%. It's probably higher now because AGG has gone down with higher rates. But it's like, would you rather buy a treasury or would you rather hold AGG? Given the choice, not a recommendation, I'm just saying these are things you have to consider. It's not as easy as it once was to say, oh, I can hold a risk-free treasury, I can hold AGG, which has a little duration in the portfolio. Um, by the way, Jay, speaking of duration, that's the other thing. You know, there, So fixed income is, it, it, it's a more complicated asset class than people realize. Because you think about bonds and you think, well, it's just a, an old bond, stodgy old bond. And, but there's a lot of math, much like options have math. And we'll talk about options in a, in a second. But high yield, fixed income, uh, whether it's treasuries, investment grade, they have duration. And duration is just a measure of what is the sensitivity to a change in interest rates. Jay, I pulled some uh, the other day and TLT, which as you mentioned is 20 year plus uh, debt, it's uh, it's US treasuries. Its duration was pushing 17. And, and the back of the envelope would say, if you went up or down one full percentage point today, uh, you'd make or lose you know, 17%, right? AGG was a little over six. IEF, which is a sen- seven to 10 year, uh, treasury ETF was seven, seven, five. But then you go to some of the, you know, and we use the, as you said, you know, so in, depending upon the investors and the risk tolerance and, and our strategy, we use some of the State Street products and, and uh, you know, we, we talk to them quite often. But SJNK was, you know, roughly 2.3 duration, meaning for every one point up or down, make or lose about 2.3. Uh, HYBL, which is sort of a combination of loans and actively managed, it's about 2.4. But uh, SRLN, which is senior loans, which are floating, they have, uh, I don't want to say no duration, but I think it was 0.3 or somewhere around there. So different types of risk, credit risk. But as we think about what happens when rates go higher? It just, I guess it's not an easy choice anymore, Jay, because you're, you are getting paid more. You have more credit risk. Let's just be clear about that. You have similar risk to, let's say, you know, the S&P, but the yields are much higher now. Yeah. I mean, again, no recommendation, but sometimes, uh, you know, I mean, you use it. I mean, I think the way we dis- we talk about the way that we use it, right? It's for there's a specific purpose for that yield, right? And we know, hey, we're willing to take in certain circumstances, certain strategies that risk, um, and let it swap out equity risk, right? And when when the markets are lower, but it's one of those things that use it as for us, we use it, you know, deliberately with a specific purpose versus trying to make a call on what interest rates are going to do and you know, have a duration play. We, by the way, we have kicked that around, 
right, about adding duration to a portfolio. We've talked about it on this podcast, how managers who added duration as treasuries got to three and four percent because they thought, well, when it comes down, I've got, you know, the upside capture associated with that. Of course, that has not been the right call so far. Uh, the way treasuries are trading. But, you know, that's not uh, something that we we typically do, right? We said there's a specific purpose and that yield is put to work in conjunction with option strategies. So, yeah, I think you get paid now for it. And uh, for us, it's, you know, use it for whatever the purpose is going to be. Um, difficult, like you said, a lot of moving parts when it comes to uh, when it comes to that. I, I will add in uh, there are some times where just the easy answer for people that just want a safer piece Treasuries or the short-term treasuries still have an attractive lean to them based off of the return that they have and the lower duration. So, you know, use yeah, fixed income I mean, as you need. <laughs> yeah, I mean, five and a half percent on the short end and little or no interest rate risk. I mean, your your duration is minuscule. Uh, just, just a little disclaimer, too, on, on high yield. You know, people should understand, although we say, you know, you're getting paid for risk. And Jay, I think, you know, you've, you've made the point. Uh, high yield, when there are major issues in the markets, typically what you see is spreads widen. That means high yield bonds decline, making their yield go up, and the difference between its yield and treasury starts to widen. And so, you know, there, there's risk in there, and that's our, I'm done with my disclaimers, Jay, but I just wanted to make sure uh, we're not telling people to go out and necessarily buy high yield. All right, Jay, I think we're good with that. Can we transition? I want to give you a quiz. All right. Oh, right. Here, well, let me let me test your options knowledge. I'm laughing as I'm saying that. I love it. Give it to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ladies you, a multiple test, choice. Okay. Well, no, I mean, and, and you can test me after too. So, okay. I'm going to give you an option with a half hour left today. Uh, it's a call. Doesn't matter really, but it's a call. It was priced at a dollar thirty. There's an option expiring Monday. Uh, and by the way, this was when the S&P was at 43.44 and the strike was 43.50. Totally randomly why I did it. I just, you know, the market wasn't exactly at the money. I was trying to get close to the money. So there's one Monday that expires Monday afternoon at 11.90. So we have $1.30, $11.90. One on October, that's 31 days away, $74.45. One next September of 24. $390.40. And by the way, just for kicks and, and grins, a December of 28 option, which is 1,910 days away, that will cost you $1,111. Now, Jay, which is the most expensive option? Oh, okay. Uh, so, you know, it's something I talk about all the time. Options uh, don't uh, price linearly, meaning, you know, a one day option is half as much as a two day option, right? That's not the way options work. Options price, uh, more, uh, exponentially like a parabola. So I would say the most expensive option is the one with the shortest amount of time on a time basis. The one that's got a half hour to go, uh, so if you did, if you added up all the half hours for the year, I bet it would exceed the one year option in, in cost. So I'm going to say the half hour is the most expensive. Yeah, that would be correct, Jay. So I don't have a bell, but that is correct. And the way I did, the, by the way, it, this is li literally back of the napkin stuff I did. 
But there's six and a half hours in a, in a New York Stock Exchange session, which is 390 minutes. And a half hour into 390 is about, you know, a little 7.7% of the day. So on, a, on, let's say, a per day basis of my, my math there that I'm probably making some errors, it's about $16.90 per day because you're literally getting that option for a half hour. Okay, let's set that off aside. But if you compare, let's say, the one month on a per day basis, $74.45, 31 days to expiration, it's $2.40. The December of 28, which was $1,111, is 58 cents per day. So yeah, Jay, I mean, it's on a per day basis. The lower time to expiry is the most expensive. And and this is why uh, products like, you know, annuities work where, uh, you know, you can hold options or even just any structured product. We have some strategies that kind of mimic that where we're pairing options with fixed income. This is why they work uh, because that time decay that you have, the longer you go out, uh, the, the easier it is to pay off the cost of the call. Unlike options that are not linear, bond payments are linear, right? When you buy a bond, you know what your coupon is going to be for the next five years, right? If you were to buy, if you were to pair up that December of 2028 with, uh, with a, let's just round to a five-year bond, you know what you're going to get. It pays you every six months. Here's your coupon. That is a very linear data point. Now, you might have some price fluctuation based off of the changes of interest rates, but as you get to the end, and as you get to maturity, that is paying you, uh, you're getting paid. It's a linear payment. Options are not linear, which means the farther you can go out, the better those products can work for you. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why we do develop products like this. And I haven't done the math on this, Derek, but if I bought a five-year bond, how much would I have to buy in five-year bonds to fully pay for that, uh, for that five-year option, that December option? You said it was what, like over $1,000? So I'd need to make $1,000 in coupon payments for that. Actually, if it's one, I'm assuming you used SPX, correct? Correct. So that would be so that'd be $100,000. So how much would I have to invest uh, to get paid $100,000 over those five years, right? So let's just round to $20,000 a year at 5%. Yeah, actually, I think that's a pretty good build, Derek. People should call you about that build. You want to kind of... You know, have upside market <laughs> exposure and have it uh, paid for by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government in the form of a treasury. That might be an interesting trade. Yeah. And basically what you're saying is, I mean, it's it's one times 100 times the price, which is 111,100. And yeah, I mean, it's sort of like you, you have that if you have some treasuries in there. Um, yeah, that is, that is kind of an interesting one. That's... Uh, you know what's fascinating, though, Jay, about the longer-term options is the implied volatility. And, you know, 26.9% is the implied volatility for the December of 28. You compare that to one month, 14.72. Mondays is only 8.35%. And so, naturally, you might look at that and say, well, wait a second, you just said the really short ones are the most expensive per day. No, that's correct. But think about in the next five and a half years, well, not five and a half, but five plus years, 
It's saying basically that what? There's going to be a, a 54% or 50% one standard deviation expectation, you know, sort of cone around the market. That sort of makes sense. Think about a five-year, if the long-term average is what? You know, 10% annual, you know, average, simple average for the markets. I mean, you know, that kind of seems like back of the napkin good, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a li- it's a little high in my opinion, uh, only because I always think about the long term average of the VIX, and it's not twenty six, twenty seven, right? It's more in the low twenties. But I do think it, uh, and I don't think, by the way, that's a market call. I don't think it's the market saying, "Oh, we're going to have a recession in two years." Right? Why that's built into that price? I think that is along the lines of what you just said, based on the general appreciation and averages of the market. Yeah, that probably makes sense because that implied volatility is derived by the cost of that uh, of that option of that long call. So I think that's I think kind of the whole cost to carry thing in there is pushing the price higher. So yeah, no, I don't think obviously it makes sense. It's what it's trading out of the market. If you actually wanted to trade that option, I'm just curious on the uh, how wide that bid ask spread is. Yeah. So while you priced it there. Uh, well, I can't tell the market. The, the data is not streaming. Well, and, and by the way, just for the audience, uh, <laughs> the the thir- the forty three fifty uh, strike does not exist for December of twenty eight. I had to do an interpolation method between the forty three hundred and the forty four hundred to to estimate those prices because I use the forty three fifty yeah. forever. So if you're looking, Jane, you're like. Wait, where is that? No, no, no. I, I did the interpolation. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking but, for that price. But yeah, but I, 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 I got you. Yeah. yeah. But yep. it's all black. I mean, it's all math, can, you know. By the way, at 5%, if we were earning 5%, which we're earning a little more in the five year, just $440,000. So if you show up with $440,000, buy the treasury the five year, and then also have another 111000 So a total of, let's say, 555000 560000 you could build yourself a nice little uh, upside exposure with uh, only, you know, without taking a lot of market risk because all your long calls completely get paid back by the yield off that treasury. That's it's an interesting bill, Derek. It'd be interesting if somebody actually ran a strategy like that. I wonder what they would call it. Well, they'd probably email me to find out more. That's what yeah, they do. I mean, Derek might more at- <laughs> that we have. Derek.Moore at ZegaFinancial.com, uh, D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Z is in Zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple. Financials up to you to spell correctly.com. Yeah, Jay, that's called uh, Z-Big Treasury. Z-Big Treasury. And it looks like that call's got like a 50-60 delta, right? So that means, you know, you're going to participate in a decent amount of the upside move in the market uh, while having the call backstopped by the coupons that you're getting paid. Interesting. Yeah, I love it. I don't. Well, let's, maybe, maybe we'll sell that to somebody somewhere. Yeah, the the downside uh, is it's just it's really opportunity cost because if the market goes down or goes nowhere, you pay for the cost or partially pay for most of the cost of the option. But if the market goes nowhere and you don't have any appreciation, right? I mean, you you sort of don't earn anything over that time too. So it's there's different. Pay, it's just a different payoff structure, but it's uh, it's interesting. By the way. Do you, I don't know if you ever saw uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger talking about options. You know, one, a lot of people think that they would never, never use options. And that's not the case. In fact, Warren Buffett has sold very, very long-term puts 
I'm telling you know, this is where like if you ever watch the big short, you have to have the ISDA agreement. And these are not that are tra- ones that are traded on the exchange. And I think he actually did 10-year, he sold 10-year puts. And I, I I have to find it, but I think he looked at it as almost an insurance company would look at it. He took in money, so he sells a put, which doesn't give you rights, but you're obligated to buy the asset below a, per, a current, you know, a certain price. So he takes that that premium in, and it's probably as we just said, the the gross amount of dollars is is higher, although the cost per day is uh, is lower on, on longer term options. But he takes that in and he invests it, and he probably looks at it as just you know getting paid to have an option on something. But they asked Charlie Munger, and Charlie Munger is like, Black Shells is useless. Black Shells is what, you know, a lot of our industry and, and it's the foremost thing of pricing options. And his point was, for longer term options, there are, like, who even knows whether the assumption are right on interest rates, on the volatility, on all those sorts of things. But anyway, just it made me remember that um, they've actually used those at, at Berkshire. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of Warren Buffett's favorite strategies is cover calls, right? And uh, and using short puts, as you said, to leg into positions. I mean, that's, you know, maybe it's not something he talks about all that often in the uh, in the shareholder meeting, but we know for sure it's something that he talks about. So yeah, for I, I think it's, uh, I think it's great. I think, you know, uh, the, the Charlie's point is very spot on that you have to have a projection on where volatility will be between now and the expiration of your option. Uh, the interest rates can impact it, right? All There's factors that you just don't know. But the, it is still – the Black-Scholes model says, look, based on where the market currently thinks things are going, here's a price on that option. You may think it's expensive or cheap, but this is the way the market is looking at right now. And that's something that – you know, we talk about fairly regularly if options look expensive or cheap. Um, we talked about last week, I think we talked about how options were on the cheaper side, didn't we? A little bit, right? So uh, this week, not as cheap, right? Not as cheap with the way that the market has moved here the last three days. But uh, still not, I mean, not even close to, out, you know, to, to breaking back up to a period of, uh, a fear. Where did the VIX close today? 17 handle? Yeah, it's it's off the 12 that we talked about. I think we had a 12 handle last week. We got a 17. A little bit of fear creeping into the market, meaning people are little, willing to pay a little more for speculation, which could be protection. Right? Or it could be on the rebound either way. But uh, yeah, a little, little more expensive than last yeah, no, and and uh, we, we've hinted that we do have a, a quantitative uh, uh, strategy or some methods that we use. Let's just leave it there. And um, yeah, I mean, I haven't done my calculations yet for the day, but volatility was was getting very compressed. You know, I think you noticed that too. And, and what that means is if you look at something like the VIX or you look at something like VVIX, which is the VIX of the VIX, it's the standard deviation of the change of those starts to get really, really tight. And when that happens, often it's it's the volatility market giving us a signal. Yeah, that's true, right? One of the triggers that we used for that strategy was saying, look, this when things compress like this, it's like a coiled spring. Maybe you've got some uh, uh, some some wider moves ahead in the near future, right? And uh, that was uh, that was 
that was, so far, you know, it's uh, it's done a good job of, you know, getting us prepared for that, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of this week. Back to, you know, what Charlie Munger was saying on the Black Shoals model. And of course, there's Black Shoals, there's uh, Bergstrom, Stenson. There, there's different models for sort of pricing there's these the instruments. The Derek and J model, right? That's the really that's right. that's the good one. Derek J model. Do we? Do we, yeah, we have one of those, right? Sure. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we actually do. But back to his point, and, and I'm, uh, let's just use that December of 28. So think about that. That's, that's a full five years away, five years and October, November, December, and three months away. And we just talked about how they have that, that volatility of about 27%. I think it was, it was in the big short. It was a Brownville Capital. And uh, they were the ones who bought, you know, the, the, they had Brad Pitt helping them to trade. They were trying to get the ISDA agreement and they were getting laughed out of the lobby at J.P. Morgan Chase. But in a, uh, I think it was either in Jack Schwager's book, Hedge Fund uh, Wizards or another article, I'd have to look it up, where they talked about how they thought longer term options were mispriced. And I, and I wonder too, although when we say the bell curve, it's not exactly symmetrical. Like sometimes no. the market prices a higher probability of, of markets going lower than higher. But, you know, when you go out, the further you go out and with volatilities like that, like you're almost getting a discount on one way or the other because the probability is there that markets can be, and I'm holding my hands up here and here. You know what I'm saying, Jack? Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm, yes, and gosh, I, when I think about, I mean, just think about this, right? How the market can only go down so far, right? So when you go out in longer terms, that that bell curve gets kind of a little squashed on the bottom. Like if it was a perfect bell curve, and you go out that far, and the and there's, you know, look, there's a chance the market doubles, right, over five years. Of course, right? I mean, that has happened. Just the 20, the 19, 20, 21 period, the market doubled, right? But the that same parabola that would say, okay, the chances of that are, I don't know, 5%, 8%, can't tell you that there's a, won't say that there's a 5 to 8% that the market is going to zero, right? So the downside, typically when you go out longer in time on the options probabilities will compress to the downside, right? It'll start to look almost like it's like somebody dropped the parabola on the floor and that, you know, that, that, that leg of it, that, that curve of it gets squashed a little bit. So yeah, you're right. The longer term options, um, the parabola does not continue because you can't go below the zero line, I guess, unless you're oil during 20 April of 2020, but let's, I'm kidding about that. Right. But uh, yeah, the, the deal here is options definitely become more and more skewed the farther and farther out you go in time, which is why, the example I gave you, you need to have kind of like a structured use for using an option of all that that time, right? You you should have a purpose. It's not a speculative option that we're talking about here. Although, Derek, I do think you, you know, made a speculative bet at one point and you said, I'm buying as soon as the longer dated spy calls come out, I'm just buying one. Whatever the longest dated strike is, <laughs> you just bought it. And you've done that almost every year, a little bit, throwing it out there. And I think it's probably paid off most years for you. It's an interesting, it's a fun exercise you do. No, I spread it off. I spread it off. And it's it's really lazy. It's totally lazy. But it's one of those things, it's as you call in your book, Buy and Hedge, uh, instead of Buy and Hold, Buy and Hedge, great book to pick up on Amazon, uh, pair it with 
Broken Pie Chart, also on Amazon, my book. But Jay, you made the point, you know, inner guru. And that's one of those inner guru trades. It's, you know, maybe it pays off, maybe, maybe it doesn't, but it's it's sort of an asymmetrical bet where it's a little bit of money, but the payoff is. And so on a, on a tiny amount of money, it's, it's just something to have out there. Um, yeah, I mean, but I like to spread it off. It is lazy. And when I say lazy, it's when you have spreads on things that are really far out, if you get a move like tomorrow that you want, it won't sort of pay you out the whole bit because you have to wait for the time value and things like that. Yeah, you won't you won't reflect that that move, right? So instead of oh, market's up a dollar, oh, congratulations, that three year call spread is only up ten cents, but the market's up a dollar. Yeah, it's a lazy option. It's got to get all the way there for it to reflect that sensitivity to the daily change of the market. Last thing on this that's kind of interesting, and, and maybe this is Munger's point that he was making about the Black Shoals. You know, think about if you remember 2017 volatility. I mean, the, the actual spot fix was, I think it almost got below 10, might have gotten 10 intraday. And that is, for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it's super, super low. But imagine that you had sold an option and it had a volatility expectation of 17, and maybe it thought rates were going to go to 3%. Well, rates were zero and volatility was 10. So in that case, it mispriced for what actually happened. And you can flip that around. Like, let's say you thought it was pricing and rates were going to be zero forever. And all of a sudden rates go up to 5%. Um, they're not, I mean, the expectation on the long, long side of the curve is, is not 5% quite yet. It priced in. But you would have seen the cost to carry go up if you were owning a call uh, just that cost to carry, the increase in interest rates would have risen the price of the call. So, you know, but that that's a professional's game. That's, you're trying to figure out mispriced black shell modeling. Good luck to the, uh, you know, I, I I wouldn't necessarily play that game. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, being long row has uh, not been a strategy a lot of folks have talked about. Although, Derek, I do think you and I spent a little time on trying to, you know, look for option strategies that just you know, can get you bullish or bearish interest rates through the cost of carry trade in the S&P. So I think it was a fun exercise for us. I'm not sure if we're going to convert it to a real tactic at any point soon, but it's back pocket for us. It's kind of a on top of what you're doing with something else. Right. So interesting stuff. Before I get to recommendations, uh, you mentioned oil. And I think it's, I want to bring that up. Not necessarily the price oh, of oil, but the fact right. that... Well, we can we can talk about oil today. It did it's I mean it's broken ninety. Is it a lot of people saying it's going to hundred? But I want to talk about just the difference in you mentioned oil futures went negative. They did. And the difference between futures and let's say listed exchange traded options is the buyer of a call can only lose what they, they pay for that call. But if you buy an oil futures contract, that actually could go negative. And it did go negative. And the reason why that is, it's a physical commodity. And there was so much supply of oil, there was absolutely nowhere to put it. So I think Cushing, Oklahoma, which is a big station that takes in oil, all the oil tankers go in there. It, they're like, no, we, we, nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. You literally could have gotten paid to buy a barrel of oil. And some people said, well, why couldn't I buy a barrel of oil? A, a Bloomberg reporter, uh, Tracy Alloway, this is actually not during 2020. This is prior. 
she tried to actually buy a barrel of oil and they're like, you cannot, you, you have to store those. Like they're toxic. You can't take that to your house, you know? You can't just throw it in the living room. Yeah, no, she's, she actually did a whole story about it. it. Yeah, <laughs> it was on oil. But that's the difference. Futures, they actually can go, you can lose more than you put into a future. And it's just different. But no, that happened. I, well, yeah, and that definitely happened during 2020. I, I almost felt like nobody wanted to take the delivery of it. And people were just saying, please get me out of this contract. I just need to sell this contract. It, it, or I'm going to get a, you know, I'm going to have to take delivery of, of oil that I, you know, straight in the futures on. And it just, it was a one day, was it a one day? I think it was a one day event, right? Where everybody just, you know, it was, it was a, it was a fire sale on that particular future. And yeah, it went negative. And I, you know, you always think about when uh, we say the max risk you take when you sell a put is the price of the, of the underlying, right? Hey, you know, the stock goes to zero and you're short a put, eh, that's the most you can take. Not in the futures market. People that had short puts on oil ended up losing more than the value of the barrel of oil that they thought uh, that they'd have the risk on because it went negative. I think it went to like negative 30 bucks, didn't it? A barrel or negative 25 bucks that day? It, it could have touched there. And yeah. let, by the way, I had somebody who's never traded futures before text me and say, hey, how do I buy a barrel of oil? Because it can't go below zero. I said, it can go below zero and it probably will today. <clears throat> I said, I, you know, I'm, I have no interest in trading it, but I actually said, I could probably short this. And let, let me just put some color on this too. When you own a physical commodity uh, of futures, normally uh, you have to, when you own it, you take delivery. That means if you own oil and you own this futures contract and you get to expiration, whatever the value of the contract, you're taking delivery of barrels of oil. And if you actually take delivery of something, not only do you have to take delivery, but you have to store it somewhere. Um, you have to arrange where you're going to store it. There are storage costs. Then you got to figure out like, how do we actually sell this stuff? Like you're not an oil merchant, right? Um, and I, I can... <laughs> I can tell you this. I, I think it was, I forget what year this was. This is before the internet and everything. And I had, uh, it might've been sugar. And there was a mistake. Normally the brokerage firm will, will tell you, hey, you have to roll or cover before this date. And for whatever reason, I, I, I rolled or cover, but there was a mistake. And they called my house and said, well, you know, we're you, taking delivery of this, uh, this sugar. Basically, think about a rail car filled with bags of sugar. And uh, yeah, that was it. Anyway, it got worked out. You worked it out? You, you're still not working through that sugar? Lots of cakes. No, I remember, you know, and they, <laughs> so it's a little, little, you know, that's that's our public service announcement. The Sunny in Philadelphia episode where they wanted to sell gas and they just, they bought gas there trying to sell it out of a barrel on the side of the street. But if you guys know, if you're familiar with Charlie, Mac, and Dennis, it's a funny episode. But uh, there you go. Maybe that's my transition for you, Derek. Yeah. So what do, what do we got as far as, well, I'll start with recommendations this week. I mentioned my wife told me, hey, why don't you watch uh, the Johnny Menzel documentary on Netflix? I think it's called, uh, it's not called that. It's like a series, but this is one in the series. It was great. I thought it was great. And it was crazy. There was a story where um, he decided, you know what? People are 
they're selling my jersey. It's like tons and tons of money the school's bringing in. I'm not really getting paid. And he used to have to sign, you know, a couple hundred footballs for the boosters. So he gets hooked, hooked up with this guy. Him and his buddy would fly to Miami. Uh, they'd go into the hotel room, sign like, I don't know, 1,000 footballs, 500 footballs, whatever it is. They would take a picture and text it to the guy, and the guy would text them a code to the safe, and they'd be like, you know, 30, 50, 100 grand in there, whatever it is. So it, it was just, it's crazy. I, I really enjoyed it, Jay. And it's, I, I forget how crazy that time was. I mean, when he beat Alabama in that game, I mean, people were going nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as an Alabama fan, I definitely remember that. Yeah, so, all right, Jay, what do you got? Uh, okay, so uh, two recommendations. The first one is, I think it's one I've mentioned before, but a new uh, season is out. It's on uh, Hulu called Only Murders in the Building with Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez. Entertaining, quick, easy watches, half hour, 25-minute episodes. Um, I'm still getting through that. So that one is out there. I'm watching that. And then uh, a little deeper one is uh, on Apple TV called Foundation. It's a uh, sci-fi uh, uh, show kind of loosely based on uh, the novels of uh, um, uh, Isaac Asimov. So uh, that one is definitely a little weirder to watch if you want something that's going to kind of really keep your interest it's not one of the ones you could read your phone and watch TV at the same time. Like you're going to have to watch that one and pay attention. There's definitely some very cool concepts in that show uh, foundation. I feel like uh, Asimov I've, I've read, he, he's got books with short stories. I feel like it's been a long time since I read one of those, but it was, it was science fiction. I remember those. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't realize right, he was born in 1920. I think he died, uh, uh, in like the nineties, right? The late nineties. So, uh, early nineties, uh, now that I've just Googled it while we're, I'm standing here. So yep, April 6th, 1992, but lots of, uh, definitely very famous, uh, sci-fi writer. Yep. All right. I had one other from a listener, Jay, uh, Michael, one of our longtime and loyal listeners. He said we should check out Plutonic on Apple TV. I think that's Seth Rogen isn't is stars in that. Plutonic. Yes, I think so. It looks funny. I have not, uh, I have not seen it. I thought you were going to say say Barbie again, Derek. No, you, you know, double double no. recommendation on that one. No, no, I keep getting that no. wrong. Sorry. No, no, I'm not not seeing Barbie. I'm not never see that. Probably, probably not. Now, uh, now I've made it that you can't see it, right? So <laughs> you know, when I watch it, I will let you know how it is. I'll bring it back to the show. Please, I please mean, don't. I, really, I thought you like. You had the pink, the pink sweater and the pants. You did the whole pink thing at the at the theater. No, I didn't. I did not. I, I was oh, not okay. at that theater. I was not. There. All right. All right. Uh, last thing, an anti recommendation. Uh, I think it's. Oh. Can we write off the New York Giants football season? Oh my gosh! What? How frustrating is it to watch those guys? It's tough. It's tough to watch them, right? But uh, look, nice comeback against the Cardinals. Uh, but you know, they, they should have never even had to have a comeback like that in the first place. And I, I listen, I think Dallas embarrassed them, uh, clearly first week and then San Francisco just this Thursday beat them again. And, uh, look, maybe they just were playing, you know, the two best two of the three or four best NFC teams, but you're going to compete. You got to compete. And, uh, they just, they're not, they're not competing. I'm definitely disappointed in my giants so far. So no, I, it's an anti-recommendation. 
Yeah. Uh, well, of course, I live in Arizona. I since '96, I do root for the Cardinals. I've had season tickets. Uh, I'm not going to any of the games this year. Somebody else is taking them. But yeah, between the Cardinals, the Giants, and the Jets, I'm. I think I'm. I'm open for uh, for business. For I, I got to pick a new team. So maybe that's what I'll do this week, Jay. Just don't watch the cowgirls. You can't. I mean, the Cowboys. Sorry, just can't watch yeah. those guys. Yeah. I agree. I agree. All right, Jay, let's call it there. And we'll be back next week with uh, some biting commentary on the New York Giants and other things market related. See you, Jay. Thanks, Eric. Bye bye.